Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're talking about the state of the Suns. We have Mike Hill, host of the Timeline Pod. Mike, uh, it's great to have you on the show. How are you feeling about the state of the Suns? Uh, it's funny because right now when we're recording is sort of post the the death of the Kevin Durant dream. <laughs> had that not happened, had there not been the prospect of trading for like an all-time great player, I might feel differently. But, you know, there also is the cloud of the most disastrous Game 7 of all time hanging over the team. <laughs> so in some ways, the Kevin Durant distraction uh, was great because we didn't have to think about that game seven all that much. So it's a weird off season. Cause you know, the Suns in a lot of ways uh, just sort of fast forwarded to the finals in their first playoff appearance uh, in 10 years and just were sort of ahead of the game. And then they did what most teams normally do, which is losing the second round after making it to the finals. So it's like this weird backwards thing where I'm still sort of juggling what they need to do and who they are. It's a weird, weird off season for the Suns, to be honest. What did it feel like as someone fo- that follows the team? Like, where would you say the percent, uh, just in terms of what it felt like, wh- where did, you know, kind of gauge the percentage of the likelihood of Kevin Durant maybe coming over? Like, what did it feel like? Uh, I I was really confident at the beginning, uh, only because all of the reporting pointed to the fact that he was attempting to force his way to the Suns. Uh, you know, there was, of course, some heat rumors as well, but the initial report came out, you know, Kevin Durant has requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. The very next report was from Chris Haynes. The team he wants to go to is the Phoenix Suns. And I do think that he has long been a fan of Devin Booker and has been very uh, generous in talking about his fandom of Devin Booker. So, you know, it just was sort of a weird test of how much power does a superstar have because of that extension without the extension that he signed. I think maybe it would have happened with that. I think the nets played the cards the best they possibly could on their end and just sort of didn't acquiesce. Um, But there were moments in that, like right right after the report, I was like, all right, it's going to happen any day now. And then of course, that was the addiction to Twitter, right? <laughs> Checking all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, over time, the the confidence waned and then uh, slowly went away. <laughs> yeah, I have a little bit of a warped view of superstars because I've been a Laker fan my whole life. So mm. a lot of the times when those rumors start, like like Anthony Davis or something like that, where it's like, as a as a you know you know the power of the lakers in la and there's more that that comes with that other than just being on a team where you're like all right like i think we got like a hook in this guy i do i do think he might be on his way so i just wanted to get the perspective of kind of a smaller market team um let's talk in some ways just him even wanting to go was a win for the Suns, which is sad (laughs) (laughs) sad. i'm not gonna lie (laughs) um let's get into last year um I kind of feel like when you look back at teams really in any sport that end up winning the championship, there's some magic to the season. There's like some some special moments that stand out. And it felt like last year for the Suns, it, it really did feel like everything had clicked into place. It's almost like when you you hear in NASCAR when they're like, you know, he's really got the car to win it. Um, it, it felt like that team was as optimized as really it could yeah. be. So what is how do you how do you move on after mm-hmm. such a difficult playoff loss? 
yeah, you know, it's interesting because 64 wins, most in in Phoenix Suns history, so the best regular season in history. But, like, a lot of the outside stuff, the the rest of the West sort of opened up in a way for the Suns to have their best chance. And I think same with the final season, the previous season, where it wasn't just that the Suns were good. It's also like the Warriors weren't quite right when they made it to the finals. This year, obviously, the Warriors figured it out. But the whole season, you were kind of wondering if they could. They weren't the juggernaut that they had been in the past. And it's it's tough because, you know, I think for Suns fans, there is a element of going into this season where no amount of wins in the regular season will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of Suns fans who now have the idea or the expectation of attempting to compete for an NBA title. And that's sort of the problem with the way they fast forwarded into the NBA finals. And as, as far as fans go, it's just, it's become harder to enjoy the normal process of how most teams, you know, make it to the first round and then lose in the first round, make it to the second round and then lose in the second round. And then now maybe have a chance to make it to the finals. You know, the Suns skipped all of that, made it to the finals after Chris Paul was traded to the team and then, you know, lost so dramatically in the second round later. And I think this this that's what makes this offseason so awkward. It's it's hard to figure out, you know, I think trading for Kevin Durant, that would have been the right move. You know, like that's the right way to approach the offseason, even after winning 64 wins. And I think the fact that the Suns seem to be pretty in on that shows that they understood, I think, in my opinion, at the very least, what the team needs. And the fact that they didn't and are now essentially going into the season with basically the exact same team, it's tough to talk yourself into the concept of them making it to the NBA Finals again without a lot of things going their way, like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, so let's hop into the players. Let's sort of uh, look at the top guys and kind of get a better feel for what what, what we're getting here going into the next season. Uh, Chris Paul. His playmaking is still really good. His playmaking grade is still really strong in the basketball index database. He's actually coming off the best passing efficiency ever going back to 2014, but he is going to be in his age 37 season. How does the Suns and Monty kind of manage him to make sure that he is peaking at the right time heading into the playoffs? I It's Chris Paul. I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> you know, like... He takes pride in the fact that he doesn't take games off. He treats every regular season game uh, almost as if it's a playoff game. Like every single loss is painful for him. And, you know, like he took a few games off in this last season. But also before the playoffs began in this last season, he had a finger injury. And he ended up being out for like 16, 17 games or something like that. Came back with a few games left for the regular season went into the playoffs after basically being off for a a few months or a month at least, and then still got injured in the playoffs. So, you know, and you don't really know. And there's some rumors that players had COVID as well, which I think there's a chance Chris Paul was one of those players. Oh, I've never, I've not heard that rumor. That's interesting. Yeah. For game seven. Uh, So there's all of that sort of combined. And it's just tough because I think with Chris Paul, I think the ideal scenario for the Suns and for him is that he were to take games off. And it's not necessarily just to keep him healthy because I think that's the priority. But also I think the Suns do have quite a young team outside of Chris Paul. And it's tough when Chris Paul's in his off ball. He, he's not quite 
a good off-ball player, you know, on offense. In, in some respects, you could say he's a bad one. He doesn't like to shoot catch-and-shoot threes, and uh, that means that teams can sort of sag off of him and then run back to cover him if the ball swings his way. So when he's on the court, you kind of need him to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. If he just missed games, skipped games entirely, I think the Suns could be forced to develop players like DeAndre and uh, Cameron Johnson and Mikel Bridges a little bit more on the ball Whereas when he's playing, developing those players on the ball with Chris Paul as a sort of bad off-ball player becomes complicated. So it wouldn't just be to help him stay healthy by the end of the season. I think it would actually benefit the Suns to have, in some respects, a guy missing to force these guys to take on-ball reps that they really couldn't get if Chris Paul was playing. So I kind of hope he takes time off. It's just with Chris Paul, it's tough to convince him to do it. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the things I feel like people love to do in advanced stats, uh, really stats anywhere, is try to predict declining players, right? So I dug into the numbers for a long time today uh, earlier with Chris Paul. And it's one of those things where if I wanted to, I can make the numbers say he was getting worse at something else. Uh, There was other places where he wasn't really falling off at all, things like his playmaking. And it really wasn't cut and dry. I couldn't really build a a solid case for that decline. However, he is 37. Um, He's obviously not what he was when he was on the Clippers, but it seems like he's really been able to steady himself uh, the last two years in Phoenix. How do you see him maintaining that value? And are you nervous? Do you see things where a decline might be coming? Well, I mean, it's kind of wild because like in the Pelican series, he had a game where he was 14 for 14. Oh, yes. I I remember that. And he's 36 years old and he's doing this or 37 years old and he's doing this. But where you can see the decline is defensively. At, at points of Chris Paul's career, he was like one of the better point guard defenders in the NBA. Now you have to hide him. You know, you're putting him in the corner. You're putting him on the worst offensive player on the other team. And you're trying to avoid switching him off onto better players, which the Suns did a poor job of that against Luka Doncic. Uh, so I think when I talk about how I think the Suns had their priorities right when attempting to trade for somebody like Kevin Durant, I think one of the main reasons I mentioned that is because the issues I think they ran into both against the Bucks and against the Dallas in the last two playoff runs were a lack of offense outside of essentially Devin Booker. Because once Chris Paul kind of loses it in the playoffs, which happened in both playoff runs, there's nobody else that can create. So from the aspect of am I concerned? Yes, I think when your offense is so reliant on a guy that's 37 years old, a lot of things have to go right in order for that to work. Devin Booker can do a lot on his own offensively, can make a team really good. Uh, But once Chris Paul falls off, every good team needs multiple guys that can create. And and if Chris Paul is not not capable of doing that consistently in the playoffs, I think that's your biggest concern. I think that's why you look to trade for a guy like Kevin Durant, even if that means giving up on some of your young players. All right, so that's a good segue to Devin Booker. He had a career year last year, set career highs in our all-in-one metric LeBron, and as well as LeBron War, so that means he was good from an efficiency standpoint as well as a volume. Uh, took a jump in our one-on-one metric, uh, set a career high in our three-point shooting talent metric. So just across the board, everything is pointing up. Uh, how do you think he continues to push his game to even that superstar, maybe top 10 uh, area? Yeah, you know, he had MVP votes this last season. Uh, It it was a fascinating season for Devin Booker. We're planning on doing 
an entire episode dedicated to Devin Booker, his past and his future coming up on our podcast. And I'm really excited to dig into even some of the B-Ball Index stats about it. But what was interesting about his career so far is offensively, you know, he likes to shoot mid-range shots and in the past has been an incredible finisher. What was missing for his game for for quite a while was the ability to hit pull-up three-point shots and in some respects just efficiency on three-point shots in general and this last season it kind of all clicked the pull-up three-point shot was there the catch-and-shoot three-point shot has kind of always been there for him so a combination of those two things were there the mid-range shot was still there but in in a lot of the season he kind of stopped getting to the rim in the same way that he had been in previous seasons so if any season for him and that also led to a decline in a free throw rate if any season for him, all of those things kind of click, which I think, you know, that if that happens, it's going to be sometime in the next few seasons, probably. Uh, I just think he could be up there in, you know, like you said, top 10 player range because he'd, he'd have the three-point shot. He'd have the mid-range shot. His playmaking is great. I think there is some improvement that could come in playmaking. And then you combine that with a high free throw rate and the ability to get to the rim, then I think you have the right stew cooking there for <laughs> Devin Booker because it's tough. Like, you know, you get to pick your poison thing for him. And I think for him too, defensively, this was his best season as well. Wasn't it's not like he's never gonna be a stopper. He just doesn't really have the body for it to be like a defensive stopper. But he also was uh like the highest minute getter outside of Mikhail Bridges on essentially a top three defense the entire season. And I think that shows that he can exist on a great defensive team because he's smart. Um, and I think some of the advanced stats for him, he doesn't get a lot of rebounds. He's leaking out on rebounds, doesn't get a lot of steals. And I think that affects the advanced numbers for him defensively in some ways. Uh, but I think just watching the games, I think he's improved dramatically on that end as well. Yeah, it seemed like just collectively as a team, they were all on the same page uh, in terms of like what their team defense was, what everyone's role was. And I feel like when you uh, are surrounded by other players that are good at defense and everyone's on the same page, they seem like a very well coached team. I feel like that can help, you know, uh, make things click into place. Uh, let's move on to Mikhail Bridges. He is part of their young core, hyper durable, led the league in minutes last year and has become one of the best three and D players in the league. Uh, mm -hmm. if he were to, like you said, maybe take more of that offensive load or take his game yeah. to the next step, what would that look like? You know, you say hyper durable led the league in minutes. This is a stat I love to bring up to non Suns fans. We've repeated a lot as Suns fans, but he has not missed a game since middle school. Oh, so what? he played every game in high school. He played every game in college, which, you know, he went to the national, he won the national championship twice uh, in college and then came into the NBA. Now he's going into his fifth season and has not missed a game in the NBA the entire time. He's, he's the iron man of the NBA does not miss games. Uh, there was even a time where they essentially forced him to rest in one game before the the playoffs and uh, he still checked in for a few minutes before checking out to rest for the rest of the game because he refused to let that you know end uh, so it's pretty wild how much he played especially now in this last season where he played so many minutes um, but it's fascinating because you know as he talked about the the dilemma with Chris Paul how good he is it's not like a problem to have Chris Paul on your team but he's very ball dominant and so you saw some 
you saw some improvement from Mikael Bridges uh, on offense this last season in that his stats went up. But the minutes went up too. So when you look at like a per 36 difference for him season over season for the last two seasons, it's not not a big difference as far as offense. It's It's very similar. He became a much better shooter off dribble, which often is just attacking closeouts and, and the ability to pull up from that mid-range area. He's tall. Like, who's going to block his shot? <laughs> he has the longest arms in the NBA, it seems like. Uh, so he can do those kinds of things. For him, I think the biggest difference would be ball handling. He has to be able to dribble better. You know, obviously, I think dribbling has just become the most valuable skill in the NBA. It's almost underrated <laughs> when it comes to like talking about players who can dribble. So, of course, if he gets better at dribbling, he's going to be better. But in some ways, I think I, I have thought to myself, maybe it's not in the cards for him as far as becoming an offensive star. It's not necessarily a bad thing uh, because defensively he can kind of do it all. And he brings a lot even offensively without that because he's so effective on the catch. He's great in transition. He's very efficient at the rim. And he's got that little mid-range pull-up. But I don't know. Like, can he can he run pick and rolls regularly? I think that is what Monty Williams has to test at some point, especially if they're thinking about at some point aggregating these guys into a, a trade package for a star you got to know what you have first. And that means really testing the limits on what a player like Mikael Bridges can do offensively. So whether or not he can take an additional step, he is one of the premier three and D players. A really cool nugget I found when researching him was he was one of three players uh, that were on ball defenders that had an A in our overall defensive impact, our D LeBron an A in playmaking and an A in our catch and shoot mm. shot making. So that that kind of trifecta of someone that can play defense on ball and then on the other side uh, on offense, they can move the ball and they can hit catch and shoot shots. I feel like that is even if he doesn't take another step forward, he is pretty much the best player in that I think it's mm-hmm. him, Lonzo Ball, and one other player mm. is the premier like three and D guys in the league. Uh, is the other player a star? Do you remember? No, I think the other player's <laughs> it? like it's it's like Royce O'Neal guessed, or something. Ah, uh, I was gonna guess Kenrich Williams. I uh, just <laughs> as an example because like there are guys that like like that that just kind of fly under the radar. But Lonzo Ball's a surprise for me there. But it makes sense now looking at those stats. He's just he's he's one of those guys. He improved so much shooting. I feel like the last couple of years, where you yeah you look at it and you're like oh yeah. <laughs> um, right. Let's go to DeAndre Ayton. Uh, this seemed like the weirdest off season ever when mm-hmm. dealing with him. I think their main reason is because they were trying to trade him for Kevin Durant, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's interesting too, because, uh, he had the ability of being re-signed, like extended last off season. So a year ago, the Suns refused to extend him when, and not necessarily in the way that a lot of people think. When Monty Williams talked about it, he said they were willing to go to a four-year max, which is what he signed in this offseason, last offseason. But what they didn't want to do was make him a designated player. Basically, the the there's one way they could sign him in a five-year extension that makes him a designated five-year rookie extension. Devin Booker is that. You know, Brandon Ingram is that. There's a lot of players that are the designated rookie extensions. Carl Anthony Towns was that. All of the stars are. They didn't want to do that for DeAndre Ayton in the last offseason, which I find particularly interesting come this offseason 
Because if they had done that, they wouldn't have been able to trade him for Kevin Durant. It would have been the same issue as Bam Adebayo going to the Nets in that a team is allowed to have two designated players on those five-year extensions, but they're not allowed to have two that they trade for. So it's like this weird issue where it's almost like the Suns are saying, we're willing to sign DeAndre Ayton to a maximum contract, but we don't want to sign him to one that limits our flexibility to either trade him to a team to get a star or to trade for another designated player to pair with Devin Booker on one of those five-year max extensions. So it's this weird scenario where I think in some ways the Suns had it right. They were smart to do it the way they did it, but that's always on paper. There's always the other element to this, which is the human element. And for DeAndre, and he probably didn't feel too good about that. <laughs> and he ended up signing a contract technically somewhere else in Indiana that the Suns matched in order to keep him. So it was an odd offseason. Had it worked out, I think, the way the Suns planned, he would have been signed and traded to Brooklyn and the Suns would have ended up with Kevin Durant. And, you know, maybe we would look at the offseason dramatically differently for the Suns in that scenario. So he's a guy that I think might be the most versatile finishing big I maybe have ever seen. It feels like anything within 13 feet, no matter where he is, he can put it in. Um, but how does he live up to the impact? Or maybe I'll rephrase this. He needs to generate enough impact to live up to that right. four-year $133 million contract yeah. to make it worth yeah. it for the team. How do you see that happening? Yeah, I think I'm glad you mentioned his finishing because I think offensively, as far as like the efficiency within like 13 feet of the rim, essentially, he had like an absurdly efficient offensive season this last season. And that included floaters, hook shots, of course, dunks. He's going to dunk it. Most people want him to dunk a little bit more as <laughs> what happens with every star big man. It's like everyone's asking them to dunk more. Uh, but it was incredibly efficient. I think with DeAndre and in just the nature of the position he plays, often it comes back to defense, which I think he was also really good at in this last season. I think the biggest question, though, and this is the constant debate with Suns fans, is how much can you rely on his ability to create offense? Because right now he had his most efficient offensive season that he's had in the NBA in his fourth season this last year with the highest percentage of assisted buckets in his career as well. So like how much can you rely on his ability to create at, at a certain point? Because for most max contract guys, unless you're Gobert, you know, or even Draymond who obviously there's like special circumstances with his ability to impact the offense outside of scoring. It's not often that you can get away with having a max player that can't create offense regularly for himself and the team. So I think, you know, they have to test that as well. I think they have to figure that out as well. And I think if 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 he can't do that regularly, I could see a scenario where he's not on the Suns uh, long-term because at a certain point, once Chris Paul's gone, which, you know, could happen by choice or not by choice <laughs> when it comes to his body, uh, the Suns are, are going to need somebody other than Devin Booker to, to run the offense with him. Uh, as most good teams have more than one guy. Uh, so they're they're going to need to quickly find out if that can be on DeAndre and in the future. And maybe it can. Yeah. Uh, one one other tidbit about him. He's like a seven footer that can walk on his hands. Have you ever seen that, Cliff? <laughs> no, I actually haven't seen that. It's crazy. Do you remember when they posted that video of like them all working out in the tunnel? 
Yeah, that's right. So yeah. at the very end of that video, everyone's favorite. Yeah, yeah, at the end of the video, he's just walking on his hands. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It was one of those things, you know, like people talk about like one play scouting. You like see something, and you're like, oh yeah, I automatically think that guy's like an A plus player. When you see a seven footer walk on his hands, you're like, all right, how many people? It's so, it's so funny that you say that because he's like incredibly coordinated in some ways. And then so like incredibly uncoordinated in others just because he's like massive <laughs> and it's impossible for gigantic guys to be, except for like Durant basically to be incredibly coordinated. But like he struggles to bend over. And what that means is that like he can't really catch passes below his waist very often, like or specifically below his knees. If it's too low of a pass, it's going out of bounds for him. And it's so weird that he can like walk on his hands, but then struggles to catch passes below his waist. It's a weird combination for a player. <laughs> that, that's got, I feel like sometimes as a big man, you like get kneecapped by a pass, right? And sometimes you don't even bend down for the next one because you're like, hey, that's like sending a yeah. message like, hey, we're going to need those higher. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing this all night. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it above the rim, yeah. Uh, all right, Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder. They're both going to be free agents mm. after this upcoming season. Uh, if you can only keep one of them, which would it be? Yeah. It's it's Cam Johnson. It's, you know, Cam Johnson's younger, Jay Crowder, 34 years old, you know, and he is, like you said, a free agent. I think Cam Johnson, there's a good chance that he's extended before this offseason ends. The extension deadline's in October, so he can still be extended, and I think there's a good chance he will. He will be. James Jones, uh, when he picked Cameron Johnson, people did not like that pick at the time. And, you know, fans, outside of fans, I'm talking about, pundits people who were attempting to uh, give grades to the draft he they essentially said he could have picked Jarrett Culver he traded the pick that was Jarrett Culver for Dario Sharitz and Cameron Johnson and was kind of killed for that and now Jarrett Culver's barely in the league I was about Cameron to ask Johnson, who's Jarrett Culver <laughs> exactly Cameron Johnson could potentially get a 15 to 20 million dollar a year extension and be a starter in the league now it, his uh, efficiency was absurd this last year, too. 391 three-point attempts. I just looked this up at 42.5% from three. And he's six foot nine, basically, in Cameron Johnson. So he's, of course, nowhere near the defender that Jay Crowder is. So there is a balancing act for the Suns where if they start Cameron Johnson, which I think they could do in this coming season, and, and you know who knows how long Jay Crowder is on the team. He's he's kind of upset with the team right now. Uh if they start Cameron Johnson, they kind of have to lean really hard into just being an amazing offensive team, which with Cam Johnson in Jay Crowder's spot, they could. In fact, if you start a starting lineup of Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, DeAndre, and you have Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and then the other three guys are all three top 15 in true shooting percentage in the NBA in this last season. And so those three guys, Cameron Johnson, DeAndre and Mikel Bridges, complementing Chris Paul and Devin Booker, I think could have potentially the best offense in the NBA. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. When I was posing the question, I was thinking like Cam Cam Johnson has really turned himself into a sharpshooter. Last season was really impressive. Uh, but Jay Crowder's defensive numbers, to my surprise, honestly, like last year, he had a monster deal LeBron. I know he is older, but I thought maybe if you were to match him up with maybe like Chris Paul in terms of age, where you're like, hey, you know, we're right, shooting right. for a smaller window uh, versus Cam Johnson. Obviously, it's going to be longer. You could maybe match him and Booker for a number of years. Um, but... Yeah, I think that I understand that the shooting from Cam Johnson just is is really, really strong. I, I admit that I think it's partially painted by the fact that in the times Devin Booker was trapped in the postseason this last year, 
the most common guy that was one pass away was Jay Crowder. And he can just do very little with the ball. That is and that's very tough. true. And so, and on the other, on the flip side of that, to your point, I think what made the Suns so good this last season, they had two offensive stars that were tough to find teams that had two guys that can guard them. And that how many teams have a guy that can guard Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And then on the other side of that, they had two defenders in Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder. So if they ever played a team that had two offensive stars, they had two guys that could guard those stars. And you take Jay Crowder out of that, you're taking away that versatility. You're taking away the ability for them to defend teams that have both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, for example. And they just aren't going to have the guys that can do that. So they have to lean really hard into the offense in order to win. And I I think it's going to be interesting because they're going to have to make that decision, I think, pretty soon because Jay Crowder has been complaining about the Suns a lot on Instagram <laughs> lately. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, uh, thanks for going through that. I feel like we got to hit on the big storylines from the offseason. We got to talk about the top-tier players on the Suns. Can't, what's your uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Protected Pick. All right. That is where you can follow Mike. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. We'll definitely have to talk again soon uh, because I think the Suns are going to have a very interesting season. Uh, my name is Taylor, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.